All right, well, it's uh, 10 after, so we'll go ahead and get started, and hopefully everybody's <laughs> glad to be here. Uh, I'm glad you're here, whether this is where you're trying to be or not. So uh, last week, we last couple weeks, we talked about the idea of what happens in between the time of, of people's death and the return of Christ. And so now, you know, that got us thinking about, right, where are people that we love? And now we want to think a little more about uh, how do we understand relationships in the afterlife? Um, you know, about are we going to see people? Are we going to know people? Those, those sort of things. Um, and honestly, this is one of the questions that comes up the most whenever I kind of bring up this topic of, you know, am I going to see them again? Um, so just as we start, uh, I know I just muted you all, but uh, tell me, what are some of the ideas that you hear, uh, ideas that are floating around about, you know, what relationships are going to be like in heaven or in the resurrection? Uh, what are some of the things you've heard, you believe, or that you've heard other people say? About what that's going to be like. A lot of the recent books, right? There's the what was it, uh, sixty seconds in heaven or heaven is for real. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you you mm -hmm. go there and, uh, you know, you you see all your family. Uh, there's big group hugs. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, maybe there's a unicorn or something. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it's kind together. of odd, sure. but there's this idea. Uh, of maybe it's from the old Testament, you know, you were gathered to your kin or something, but there's just mm -hmm. this idea that everybody's waiting for you. And every yeah. time somebody new shows up, there's another big gathering and everybody gets to welcome you and yeah. vice versa. Big yeah. Which actually does sound kind of nice, but. Oh yeah, obviously. Right. What else, what else do you hear sometimes about what our relationships are going to be like or not like, right? How are they saying, how are they similar? How are they going to be different? Well, you always hear about the bright light that, you know, okay. you, whenever you read or some of those stories, like Stephen said, that there's that light and you see that light, you know, and stuff. So, mm -hmm. yeah, um, the, yeah, it's just this reunion idea. Right? Like, go to the light and everybody's there. Like said It's like finishing a race, which is actually, I mean, that idea is, is biblical. And so, um, and like I said, and I think I mentioned this in the prayer, right? We don't, we're going to look at some things tonight that will hopefully give us some insight, but this is not an area that's really spelled out really clearly for us as far as what relationships will be like and that sort of thing. But, you know, I think we're trying to find a balance here that we don't want to just say, oh, well, that's just wishful thinking and, and not worry about it. Um, but also, to, right, that what we believe is good news. And if certain things are not good, um, there's a sense in which we want to see how that could fit into God's good story. And so we'll look some at what scripture says directly, right? Look at a couple passages to give some hints. Uh, but also, I think, it, and this, this is a case where it's more fruitful to think about the nature of God, right? What we know God is like and what God cares about. And that will give us some insight into um, what it might be like then, right? So that's where we're going to start. Uh, we're going to talk about kind of the big picture of community, right? As it relates to God, as, as it relates to us. And here's another question to think about. Uh, again, not really an easy answer to it, but so I'm curious what, what you think. Why did God create humanity in the first place? What, what's the purpose? What's the point of God creating us? Well, I think for fellowship. Mm-hmm. Fellowship with God, with each other. 
Well, I think just fellowship, fellowship in general. I mean, I think that's, I mean, and, and you can see that throughout the Bible. And, uh, but, but uh, I, I think God wanted to fellowship. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's a good, good starting place, right? That relationship, community, fellowship, these things are important to God. Mm-hmm. And I know this is kind of one of those big ideas that you spend a lot of time talking about, but I think we actually see that uh, in the idea of the Trinity, right? Uh, and uh, one of the terms that's sometimes used in this by nerdy people like myself is uh, social Trinitarianism. Right? It's the idea that God exists in community, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the names we typically use there. Uh, right? God is love. That's a, a central concept as first john tells us and if you think about it if god is love 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 is about a relationship you can't really be love by yourself uh you need someone to love right and so that's kind of part of why we believe that god exists as three in one because if god is love uh naturally god has to be able to express that love and share that love and so that's kind of the relationship that the the Trinity exists in, that it's this uh, equal communal love that's perfectly open and shared and not selfish in any way. Um, And so uh, the other thing that love always wants to do is it wants to include more and more. It wants to grow and expand. And so that, I think, is a reason we can extend from God's nature to creation. God created us to share in that divine community, right? To be a part of what God already has. It wasn't because God needed us, um, right? It wasn't some egotistical need to be praised. Uh, that's the reason some people might come up with. Of, well, God just wanted to be praised, right? Which is kind of odd to think about. It's not like desperation or loneliness, right? God was already complete and full in God's own self. Um, but love wants to share more, right? Again, this is a place... Uh, where you think about, you know, God as a, as a father, as a parent, well, why do we have children, right? If you have children out of desperation or loneliness, or if you have children because you want them to praise you, those aren't really the best reasons to do that, right? And so we shouldn't think God of, of God doing that either. And so that's, I think, our creation itself points to the importance of relationship, right? That's inherent to God's nature. So it's pretty important. And then we see that in the creation story as well, right? Uh, If you go to Genesis 2, the first thing in creation that's not good is not good for man to be alone, for the human being to be by himself, right? Everything is good before that, all through chapter 1. It's good, it's good, it's very good. And then Adam is alone, and that's not good, right? And Adam still had a relationship with God. God creates animals and be like, hey, what do you think of these? Is that good enough? And and it's not, not quite there. And so uh, we need this sort of equal relationship, someone who's like us is kind of what Adam says there once Eve is created. Uh, and so relationship is good. It's, it's uh, a necessary part of creation, again, uh, for God to share. And looking also at the big picture of Scripture, we see that it's always about God's relationship with groups, not so much just with individuals. Right? And anytime God is forming a, a, a relationship with an individual, it's for the purpose of a group, right? God calls Abraham so that he can be a family, so that family can bless the whole world, right? It's always, it's always bigger. 
God calls a nation. God calls a church. The problem here is that we live in a very individualistic culture in our country. And so we tend to think of everything personal first, and then uh, community is kind of a, an add-on, right? Community is just something that helps me with my personal journey. And so we tend to think more about our personal relationship with God, which is actually not a phrase in scripture, right? Not a bad thing, but that's usually not the focus in, in, in scripture. As I said before, Paul, when he's writing to churches, Paul says y'all, right? Even English language gets in the way here because we use the word you to refer to one person or a group. And Paul is always talking about two groups, but we read that as he's talking to me, right? Uh, and for example, the, the book of Romans is all about the relationship between the Jewish group and the Gentile group in, in the church, right? We misread that as talking about individual salvation, and that wasn't Paul's point. He was dealing with the, the conflict between those groups there. And it really changes the way you read a book like that, right? So this is the big picture, but we just kind of miss it a lot of times because uh, that's not the way that we think. And so we need to think more in this communal, biblical way of, of looking at things. And so some of these questions about relationship, they wouldn't even have that in ancient times because they don't think of it the same way. And there's plenty of images, like we looked in Revelation last, last week or a couple weeks ago. It talks about a kingdom. Obviously, a kingdom includes a lot of people. It's not just me and the king. Um, at the very end, there's the city, the New Jerusalem. A city implies lots of people, and you'd see other people. Uh, common imagery that we'll talk about maybe, I think, next week is of a feast or a, a party, right, is what the, what the age to come is going to be like. And a feast implies right, a lot of people. It's not just me. And God, it's, it's all of us sitting around the table together. All these things imply not just me and God, but, but all of us together with God. And again, thinking a little deeper, in the end, God doesn't destroy things, reveal his glory and his goodness. He perfects them, right? He renews them. And I think human relationships fit in that category, right? Yes, they're flawed right now. And even the best relationships uh, aren't perfect. And yet, that's a place where we can see God revealed and through our loved ones. I think we learn the most about love and what God is like in our close personal or family relationships. And so I don't think we should assume God would destroy that if it's, if it's a good thing. And uh, we might get to this more later, but, you know, your memories of who you are and the relationships that you have in this life, if you lost those memories you're not really going to be you, right? And so the idea that you would just forget about any close relationships because now I'm in heaven or in the resurrection, it's just me and God. Well, it wouldn't really be you. That's kind of the point of resurrection of the body is it's, it's about continuity. You are still you in the life to come. You're, you're changed, but you're not a different person. You haven't forgot who you were and you're not just this formless soul that God is kind of pulling back into God's self. Uh, as, as some visions of, of the end would say. All right, so that was getting a little more theological, but I think that's the best place to start, right? Community is important to God because God is community. God is love. Uh, it's a place where God can, can um, teach us about love, and so that wouldn't be lost. Scripture is always about community, even if we don't always see it in our culture. I think these things are already pointing to the idea that relationship is not something that, that we would lose in, in the end. So any uh, questions or comments about 
that introductory part there. I just think that there is, I think you put it here at the end, you will still be you. I think there is inside the community, I think there is still the, you know, the individual presence there. I mean, like uh, when Jesus talks about, you know, he who tells people not to follow the commands will be called the least in the you know kingdom of heaven. Uh, that's kind of like a an individual call out there. Or when he tells uh, Peter, hey, you feed my sheep. Well, what about John? Well, you know, what about John? You feed my sheep. Yeah. So I, I think there's there's very definitely a a a place where you know we as individuals will be have some kind of I don't know recognition is not really the right word I'm looking for here, but the yeah. idea that that we're right. distinct, we're clearly distinct here, mm -hmm. even in heaven. Yeah. Uh, but that it's so big that we we have to get over ourselves almost. Uh, right. Yeah. Maybe to to get. Yeah, that we. And I think next week we're going to talk about like our vocation, what we're called to be and do, and kind of what we do in heaven. Again, that's kind of a, a pretty big mystery. But that comes into it, right? This idea of uh, reigning or crowns, right? And that's some somewhat symbolic. But you know, we don't want to turn that into all right. Well, you did this many things on earth, so you get this rank in heaven, and there's tiers, right? That kind of hierarchy seems like it's not very heavenly. And yet, right, we can acknowledge some people in this life did a lot more to be more Christ-like. And so it's almost like they'd have less work to do there. So yeah, but again, it's, you have to have other people to be able to be distinct. So yeah, like you said, that is pointing towards that. Right, well, well, a couple of places. I guess I, yeah. I, guess I kind of see too that there may be a time where we're held and held accountable for what we did or didn't do. And once that's been done, then that's over. That's forgotten about. And we move on. And, and so while we may be held accountable for the, 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 our misadventures, but at the same time for those good things that we may have done, I think they, uh, that that's also kind of past history as well. And so start kind of a new history that's, uh, that, that we may not lose our personality, but we, we, it gives us a chance to begin anew. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. And that'll come up in, I think, a couple of weeks we'll talk about judgment and what the Bible says about that and how that's still relevant even for us that are, that are in Christ. All right, well, let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4. And we'll, uh, we look at this passage already, but... Um, I want to look at it again just real quickly in the context of, of relationships. All right, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 13 to 18. I'm not even going to read it all because, like I said, we, we've discussed this before. This is where Paul is uh, dealing with this church who's worried because some members in the, the, this congregation have passed away before Jesus came back, and they thought he would be coming back before anybody died. And so they're worried, okay, are they going to miss out? And so Paul is trying to reassure them, no, they're not going to miss out on, on Jesus' return. Right? We don't want you to grieve like others who have no hope. We can still grieve, but it's different because uh, we have hope for everyone that's in Christ. Um, so really, it's, it's mainly in verse, um, let's see, well, verse 14, we believe Jesus died and rose again. So through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died, right? They'll be coming with, with Christ and, and we'll all be together. Um, and then the, the key verse is, verse uh, 17 right then we who are alive who are left will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the lord in the air and we will be with the lord forever all right again it's all very uh 
um, communal kind of language. We, all of us, uh, together, right? this is implying reunion. And so the, that's, that's kind of the picture there. Um, they're worried about these people missing out. Um, both, I think both that they're gonna miss the resurrection and that they're not gonna see them again. And Paul is saying, no, um, they're gonna have a special place as people that have already died and we'll all be together with the Lord, right? It's, it's a very communal image. It's not just, uh, you know, I, you're gonna miss out and I'm gonna miss out. Well, and, and, and in verse 18, if you continue, it says, therefore, encourage each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, Paul's always thinking about community. It, it becomes, a, a, now becomes a, a, a communal where we're, you know, we're encouraging each other. So there's a certain degree of fellowship here that, yeah. that uh, folks don't worry about it. We're all going to be there. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's not exactly the question that he's, that he's dealing with, but that's, uh, that's part of it, right? That's, that's a big idea there. All right, uh, like I said, we've talked about most of that already. But let's uh, go where I want to spend more of our time tonight is in Luke chapter 20. This is uh, Jesus' confrontation with the Sadducees, right? It's, you know, it was part of this uh, week that he had in Jerusalem uh, that we've been talking a lot about, and especially this week between uh, Palm Sunday and death and resurrection. So we can think of this happening around this time, right? Uh, so I'm going to pick up, I'll be in. This is, and this is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but I'm going to use Luke's version of this story. So Luke 20, starting in verse 27, says, Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers, the first married and died childless, then the second and the third married her, and so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? <laughs> and had married her. Jesus said to them, those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore, because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. And then it basically ends up saying, good answer, Jesus, uh, from people that agreed with him. So, uh, and, and that, that last verse, to kind of pick up where we were last time, where it talks about all are alive to God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that also, I think, points to that idea of that intermediate state, that they're, they're with God somehow. To God, they're still alive, even though we would consider them dead. Um, and it implies that, well, if they're somehow alive now, right, God is still their God. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham. I am the God of Abraham. Jesus is kind of making his point off of, uh, the verb tense there, saying if they're still alive somehow with God now, then they're going to be alive in the resurrection too, right? And uh, he's, he's working against the Sadducees' belief that, that the soul died at death, right? The Sadducees thought when you're dead, that's it. 
which, you know, there's a lot of the Old Testament tends to assume that view more than, than the resurrection, right, as we saw early on in this. Um, and so I think Jesus' point is if you can prove that they're somehow alive now, then you pro- also prove the resurrection, right? Um, the Sadducees also only accepted the first five books uh, of the Old Testament as scripture. And so, um, right, you don't seem to see resurrection there, but Jesus is smart enough to know, I can't argue, I can't quote Daniel to them because that's the clearest example of resurrection, but they don't accept that as part of the scriptures. Uh, and so he goes to a story about Moses and what God says about the patriarchs. Now, again, the Sadducees, when they bring this question to them, this isn't a serious question, right? They are, Luke and Luke makes that clear. They already don't believe in the resurrection, not coming to like find out if this is true or get a good, uh, good take on it. I kind of hear their question to him is basically a joke, right? Like, all right, we got a story for you, Jesus. Here's this, you know, crazy story about a woman who married seven brothers and none of them ever uh, gave her a kid. Um, in fact, if you go to Matthew and Mark, Jesus' answer is a little bit more harsh, right? He says, you're wrong. You know neither the power of script, or you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God, right? Um, I think when Jesus can tell the difference between an honest question and a question that's just trying to <clears throat> waste time or be a joke or, you know, that they're not going to take seriously. Um, and so he's saying there that Jesus or that God has the power to raise the dead and scripture proves it. And you guys who think, you know, all this scripture don't know how to read it. And you don't seem to know God if you don't think he has the power to do this. Right. That's he's saying that's part of what you're saying. All right. So where Jesus starts in verse 34 is he talks about um, marrying and being given in marriage. Right. In this age, we marry and are given in marriage. And but in that age, we don't have that, right? And that actually is kind of an odd phrase, right? If you really think about it, uh, it could mean that there's um, no marriage in heaven, right? Implying that you're not in that relationship anymore. Um, or it could just mean that there's no more marriage in heaven or that somehow that relationship is different, right? It's, I was pointing out that it's, it's kind of a vague phrase when he says that, we don't marry and we're not given in marriage in the age to come. Right. Um, and another thing that he says, he is a little bit beside the point, but uh, part of his argument, Jesus says that, that we're like angels. Right? And as I think I mentioned this last week, he is not saying that we become angels, angels and humans are separate creatures uh, from creation. We don't, God doesn't need any more angels. He's got enough. Um, and so we, we don't become them, but we are like them, right? And as you look at that, what does Jesus seem to be emphasizing uh, about angels? In what way are we like them or will be like them? It's not that we get wings. Uh, what is it about angels that we will be having in common then? Because uh, we can't die anymore, right? I guess that's saying that angels cannot die, and then we won't either. Right. That's how, as far as Jesus trying to say, that's the only way that we can think about being like them then. I think, too, there's there's a possible element here that the angels seem to know more what's going on. Right. You see angels pop up and it's it's -hmm. almost like they're more in tune with what God's telling them. They know stuff that we don't know. Mm -hmm. We can't see. 
So maybe yeah. in heaven we'll kind of be like that in terms of, well, we'll, we'll see reality as it is, you know, with God yeah. as opposed to what we have here now. Yeah, and I think you can pick that up from other places, right? That, that now we only know partially, then we'll know fully, even as we're fully known. I think that's 1 Corinthians 13. So yeah, you can argue that, but at least here, he's mostly emphasizing that, that we won't die. And his argument seems kind of weird uh, if, if you really look at the way he's flowing from it, right? Where he's talking about, well, we won't die, and so you don't need to be married, right? We don't really think of those two things as going together, so to really understand this, you have to think about the purpose of marriage, right? What was the purpose of marriage in the first century uh, for good Jewish people? And how do we understand the purpose of marriage? Because uh, I think they're probably a little bit different, right? The, the Jewish answer is, well, the purpose of marriage, go back to Genesis, is to be fruitful and multiply, right? You need to marry or be given in marriage so that you can have children and continue your family line and so that we can fill the earth uh, i would say at this point <laughs> that's not really an issue anymore right the earth is we've done a good job of filling filling it uh we haven't done too good at most of god's commands but we've, we've handled that one okay <laughs> um and again especially to for the jewish view for most of scripture and now the sadducees would look at it uh if there's no life after death then it's really important that you have children and that they can pass on your family name, and you can pass down your land and everything to them, right? That's probably the most important thing. For someone to die without children is, is a tragedy because your name isn't passed on. And so that's, uh, their, their question is alluding to this really strange law in Deuteronomy that says if, if uh, a woman marries and they don't have any children, then, or, and then the husband dies, the husband's brother needs to uh, have a child with her. And then that child will be in the name of his dead brother, right? It's really strange to us, but you have to understand from their perspective, it's really important that you continue that, that person's name. And so that's, that's kind of the law that they're talking about there, which again, to us, well, that just doesn't make any sense, right? We read that in Deuteronomy and just think, what are they talking about? Right? Again, they have a different idea of marriage and what the says. So their question is really centered around this idea of, well, if a man dies without children, who continues his line, right? Which, when they're asking who's going to be married to her, they're really saying who's going to be responsible for, you know, who's going to, who's, whose uh, name is the, are the kids going to be under in the resurrection? And Jesus says that's not really relevant anymore because people won't die anymore, right? You don't need to worry about continuing your line after you die if you're no longer going to die. I think that's, he's pointing out the flaw in, in their thinking. So it seems like they're picturing resurrection as, uh, I guess you come back and you get a second chance, but you'll still die again later. Um, if you never die, you don't need to have someone else, a child, carry on your name. Uh, so that's, that's kind of, again, the whole argument seems strange to us because we just think of marriage differently, right? Today, what would we say is the purpose of marriage? What are some different reasons we might give why marriage is a good thing or a godly thing? Companionship and, and yeah. you have, well, and if you have children, it becomes especially important because the, 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 the need for a, a, a two parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, partnership, um, being able to 
to do these things together, right? Uh, yeah, raising kids is not easy. And I know some do have to do it by themselves and uh, that's, that's hard. I really feel for people like that, especially right now. Um, and so that, yeah, that's a, a way that we can have support doing that or just doing all the other things in life. Right? That can be a helpful thing. What else, other reasons? Why do people get married today, right? Probably not to continue our family name. It doesn't rank very highly for most of us. Um, but why else? What is marriage for? Well, in modern society, I think there's a lot of people who are questioning whether marriage has a place in it anymore because yeah. of what we're discussing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think another historical reason for marriage was kind of protection. I mean, mm -hmm. let's face it, there's a lot of nasty people out there today as well as then. It's a little, we're a little more protected today than we were then. But mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of marriage was just to make sure that, the, well, quite frankly, that the girls were taken care of. Uh, yeah, right. Not just left and to I, their own and with anyone able to just come, you know, do nasty things. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, it was a very patriarchal society. And right when he says given in marriage, I mean, that's kind of implying that women belonged. I mean, that's the ancient way of thinking about it. You either, a woman either belonged to her father or she belonged to her husband and you're kind of passing ownership, which is not the way that I think we should think about marriage today. Right? And so again, that like you're saying, uh, if that's the way we're thinking about it, you can understand some people are kind of questioning if that's a, a, even a good institution, right? But I think hopefully there's more to it than that and we don't want to think about it that way. But yeah, we do live in a very different time when both men and women are able to be more independent and you don't need necessarily someone else because there's so many other ways that you can take care of yourself, right? Back then a woman didn't really have any options for work. Um, and now it's, it's thankfully it's different. But so, yeah. One of the, uh, to follow up on that, I think a, a really key point, I think we still do need marriage despite what you said that you can take care of yourself a lot better than you used to. But I know, okay, this is me, speaking personally i mean let's face it life's just a lot easier if you've got someone to share it with i mean you just there are things that you can't do yourself and i'm not talking about the obvious i mean there are just you can't there are parts of life you simply cannot experience by yourself whether it's having kids or being part of a family or you know there are lots of activities let's face it you know there's the old jokes about well i'm gonna i'm gonna find my wife and then i'm gonna grow a baseball team so i you know go out and you know have people to play with but there are just activities that's really hard to do when you're when you're single quite frankly yeah. honestly yeah and, yeah. Well, and again yeah you're right because i in, in midlife i was single for 15 years and that was uh, uh you know that was a very difficult sometimes in in that regard and then the old saying two heads are better than one oftentimes uh if we make better decisions when we've got another person who who is just as much desire for the best of each other to 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 make decisions off of, so I, I think it, it it helps from that standpoint. Yeah, and I think we don't want to limit this just to marriage, right? That was the the conversation there in in Luke, but we're thinking about relationships in general. How do yeah. You... <laughs> uh, good night. Um, right. It's, it's not going to be alone, and that includes just having other people that you care about in your life, uh, other family or close friends, right? All these relationships are good, uh, and so they should all be a, hopefully a part of 
uh, our vision for what God is, is doing, what God cares about. Yeah, marriage is, is obviously a very important and special relationship, but it's not the only one, right? And just because you're single doesn't mean that you're doing everything in life by yourself. Um, but, right, and that's why we have the church too, right? That's why God doesn't want us to just be individual believers. Uh, we need each other, as, as hard as that can be sometimes. Um, and so as we think about in the resurrection, uh, you. know exactly what the relationships are going to be like and how we would understand them. Uh, really, I just think all relationships are going to be deeper than they are now, right? Even if you've been married for a long time, you never completely know everything about your spouse, right? That's because it's another person. But I think in the resurrection, you're going to know everybody better and we're going to know each other better and in ways we couldn't before. Um, well, that, I think that's a, that's a scary thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, it'll be all, it'll be good. I promise. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I think there's this overly romantic view, right? This is again, a modern perspective that sees, well, other people complete me. Right? I mean, that's Jerry Maguire, that famous line, but we do need to realize our true self is found in God. Right. And that's what we'll experience in the resurrection. But finding our true self in God doesn't mean that it's just going to be me and God. Right. It's, it's the tricky line of not, uh, overestimating the importance of human relationships but not devaluing them because god still made them all right we're, we're kind of need to wrap up uh because we're getting close to time one other question that again i think is pretty hard to answer but a lot it comes up a lot is well are they are the our dead loved ones watching over us right now right again that's a very common thing that you hear um that they're, they're watching over us they're with us you know sometimes we feel like we're seeing signs that they send to us um and there's not a whole lot that points in that direction. Uh, we did see in Revelation a couple weeks ago that it talks about the martyrs who seem to be aware of what's happening on earth. But as I said before, Revelation is very symbolic and uh, it, it may be trying to just make a point that's not as literal as, as you could take it there. Uh, there's a phrase in Hebrews chapter 12 that talks about the cloud of witnesses that surround us. Uh, and that was picking up the previous chapter where it's all about these heroes of faith, right? And I think when it means witnesses, it's more about that they were a witness for God or a witness for Christ, less than about them witnessing us and what we're doing, right? That's not really the context of what it's saying there. So, so that's harder to say whether they're watching now uh, and what it's like in this point. Um, I can't really say either way. So if, if that's meaningful to you, then, then that's okay. Uh, the point is, we, I think we should, or it's fair to assume that we can expect a reunion with them someday. Right. So again, uh, wrapping up, we want to go back to thinking theologically, right? thinking about God's nature. That yes, we're going to be, our, our relationship with God is the most important thing. When we see God face to face and, and we know God in a way that we can't know God now. Uh, but like I said at the beginning, the love of God naturally expands. That's what true love does. It wants to include and grow rather than kind of close itself off. It's not selfish. Uh, love's not selfish, right? Uh, it's not exclusive. It's, it's more inclusive. And so that's, to me, that's the reason why I think we can hope for a reunion in the end, because that to me is most in line with what God is like. And if God is love, any way that we can experience more love uh, then and now, is is good right so 
the point of all this class is think about how does our beliefs about the end affect how we live now, right? And so if relationships are that important to God, then they're important now. They are places where we can see God. And that's, that's all relationships. Anybody that we encounter is an opportunity to experience the love of Christ, right? That we can show Christ's love to or we can experience Christ's love from them. And so hopefully we can look at all our relationships in that light. It's not just something for us, but it's a way to know God better. So, all right. Thanks, everyone. We will see you uh, hopefully on Sunday.